I don't know if this, I don't know if this father thing, I don't know if it should be a competition. But here's, here's what I do know. I know that I have this responsibility to be the spiritual covering for my family. I, I know that I have this responsibility to be the priest of my home. And, and, and I, I love, whenever we talk about this, I love to point out the fact that I'm supposed to be the priest of my home, not the king of my castle. In fact, there can only be one king. And in my home, that king is Jesus. But I, I do want to be, I want to be the best I want to be the best husband that I can be. I want to be the best father that I can be. I want to be the best man that I can be. I want to be the best person that I can be. I want to live my life as a champion. I want to live my life as a spiritual champion. And here's what I'm convinced of. And here's here's what I believe the message that God has for you today. And that is this, to live your life as a spiritual champion, whether you're here as a dad or not, whether you're here as a man or a woman, the opportunity that you have to live as a spiritual champion is available to you. And here's the key to that. The key to that is having the hand of God upon you. Having the hand of God upon you. We've been in the middle of a series entitled Majoring in the Minors, where we've been talking about people who are maybe minor in exposure in the kingdom of God. Minor, there's not a whole lot of scripture that talks about them, but they had a major impact on the formation of, of God's family, on the formation of the church, and on our understanding of how we can connect with God. And this morning, I want to focus on another one of those people that that his name's a little bit more familiar, but his story, not so much so. And I believe this. I believe that in his story, that there are some powerful principles for us to live as these spiritual champions that God has called us to live as, to have the hand of the Lord upon us, which is God's desire in our life. And the person that I want to look at today is the person of Ezra. So I want you to turn. There's actually a, a book in the Bible that bears his name, the book of Ezra. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn there this morning, and we're going to focus on Ezra, the seventh chapter, okay? So as you're turning to Ezra chapter seven, uh, let me give you just a little bit of, of, his, of historical background and maybe tie in some of, the, some of the Bible characters, okay? So in about 607 BC, the, the, the kingdom of, of Judah, it is, it is collapsing. Israel has divided into two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And both of them are being led by progressively more evil kings. And in this, because of the rebellion against God and because of the rejection of the principles of God, God allows each one of these divided kingdoms to fall. And in in, in 607 BC, the time of captivity uh, begins. This, this Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, comes and, and, and captures, God's, uh, captures God's people and takes them into, 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 into captivity. And so we find this from, from, uh, from about 597 BC, they begin to be deported. Uh, and so then what happens is about 586 BC, Babylon is, 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 they are conquered by the Persians. So we go from Nebuchadnezzar being uh, the ruler of captivity to this, this king by the name of King Cyrus, right? So King Cyrus is, is ruling. Now, King Cyrus is a name that will be uh, somewhat familiar to you uh, because King Cyrus is uh, talked about a lot in the book of Daniel. And What's interesting is this, is King Cyrus issues a decree that allows the Israelites to begin to return to Jerusalem. 
Now, why would he do this? Why would a pagan king issue a decree that would allow these Israelites to go back to Jerusalem? Well, there are a couple of factors. Number one, Daniel is there and Daniel has favor with the king. Also, Daniel shares with the king prophecy that was written about him generations before. See, Jeremiah wrote generations before Cyrus was ever born that there would be a king that would be named Cyrus and he would bring about the restoration of Jerusalem. And so this king, in honoring this prophecy that had been written about him generations before and in embracing what Daniel had to say about him, he allows the Israelites to begin to go back and, and, and begin to, to return uh, to, to Jerusalem. This is about 537 B.C. So th- then we, we go from, we go from uh, Cyrus to we have a, a few more kings uh, that come along. We have King Darius that comes along. Uh, and then we get, to the, we get to King Xerxes. King Xerxes marries a Hebrew girl named Esther. And then King Xerxes is succeeded by his son, Artaxerxes. And you'll see there in Ezra, uh, it talks about King Artaxerxes. Ezra 1 talks about King Cyrus, and it also talks, we, we find it talking about King Artaxerxes uh, beginning in, in Ezra 7.1. And so Artaxerxes allows Ezra to go back 70 years Israel was in captivity. Cyrus allows them to return. 90 years after the first group goes, Artaxerxes becomes king. And in in, in the first year of his reign, he allows Ezra to return to Jerusalem. And and why why would Artaxerxes do this? Why would Artaxerxes allow another group of people to return to Jerusalem? Well, Artaxerxes' father was Xerxes, who was married to Esther, right? So you have these influences. God brought this godly influence to even these pagan kings. Why? Because God has the ability to cause kingdoms to rise and fall. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're engaged in. Make no mistake that our God is sovereign, that our God is omnipotent, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or even imagine. And so it's in this context that this man, Ezra, that he, he returns from captivity, that he returns to, he returns to, to, to Jerusalem. And, and this morning what we're going to do is we're going to focus on his story because I love what it says in, in Ezra 7.10. It says this, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Okay? This, is, this is Ezra that in, in just a few verses earlier, it says this. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, of, uh, the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he had asked. Why did the king grant him everything that he had asked? Look at what it says there in, in Ezra 7, 6. For the hand of the Lord was upon him. For the hand of the Lord was upon him. Say that with me. For the hand of of the Lord was upon him. Let's say it one more time. For the hand of the Lord was upon him. It is significant. It is historic. It is nation impacting that the hand of the Lord was upon him. And here's what I want to offer you this morning, that the same God who placed his hand upon Ezra wants to place his hand upon you. 
That same God that granted Ezra favor wants to grant you favor. That same God that granted Ezra courage wants to grant you courage. That same God that granted Ezra destiny wants to grant you destiny. Why? Because that's the business that God is in. God is in the business of placing his hand upon his children. And, and, and listen, when we do that, here's the impact that it has. Okay? Here's the impact that it has. Ezra, in the life of Ezra, first of all, we see this, that Ezra had favor with the people around him. Ezra has favor with this pagan king. It tells us that in, in Ezra 7, 6, that the king, referring to Artaxerxes, that he had granted Ezra all that he had requested because the hand of the Lord was upon him. So this pagan godless king, who wasn't fundamentally predisposed to the favor uh, uh, towards God's people, he grants this request. Why? Because of the hand of the Lord. And, and, and here is, here's a key. A key is this. That Ezra lived his life, even in, in captivity, that Ezra lived his life as a spiritual champion. Ezra walked with God in such a way that, that the hand of God was, was evidenced upon him and it influenced people even as high as the king. And so one of the evidences of God's hand or, or one of the results of God's hand being on our life is this issue of favor with others. Recognize this, friend. God wants to give you favor in your job. God wants to give you favor in your school. God wants to give you favor in your neighborhood. God wants to give you favor in your family. It is God's desire that you live this life not simply to survive or to succeed, but God wants you to live a life of significance. God wants you to live a life of absolute purpose. God wants you to live a life of profound destiny. I often say this, and I say it because it's true, that life is not meant to be endured. endured. It's meant to be enjoyed, and it's meant to be embraced. Jesus said this in John 10.10. 10. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly, or I have come that they might have life and have it, have it to its full. You're not simply here to take up space. You're not simply here to occupy time. For the steps of the righteous are ordered to the Lord, and God has this wonderful destiny for you. God has this wonderful plan for you, right? Jeremiah says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And God wants you to walk in that destiny. He wants you to walk in that favor. And, and, and that's the, 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 the obvious the obvious demonstration of the hand of the Lord being upon us is that the favor of the Lord is ours because God is not some big bloodshot eyeball on the sky with lightning bolt in the hand waiting to zap you. Our God is, first of all, he is love, right? It's one of the biggest characteristics that we know about God. God is love. Another profound characteristic that it's important for us to understand is this, is that God is a giver, Right, The most familiar portion of Scripture is John chapter 3, verse 16, which says, For God so loved that he did what? Okay, so here's what we know. We know that God is a lover. We also know that God is a giver. He's a rewarder. The Bible says this, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Those who seek me will find right? Knock and the doors will be open for you. Ask and you will receive. That's the character of God. That's the heartbeat of God. You know, so much of the misunderstanding of God is the result of misinformation. Here's an interesting, here's an interesting statistic. Let me, let me share this with you. It's interesting to me that 
that the Orlando metropolitan area, it is number four per capita. It is number four in the list of most de-churched areas in the nation. That's an interesting, that's an interesting statistic to me. In fact, it's a sobering statistic to me. We're number seven in the most unchurched. Isn't that interesting? You think about it, with all the churches that dot the landscape of Orlando, we are the seventh most unchurched city in America. And we're the number four most de-churched city in America. How is it? How is it that people fail to connect with this very obvious God? More than that, how is it that people disconnect with the family of God and, and, and for so many of them, the principles and the plan of God? Here's the reason why. Because we get a skewed perspective of who God is. And when we have a skewed perspective of who God is, that will naturally lead to a skewed perspective of who we are. And so the challenges that our nation face, let's bring it much more local. The challenges that your neighborhood faces is because of a skewed perspective and a misunderstanding of who God is and a rejection of God's hand. Because it is God's desire to place his hand upon you. It's God's desire to place his hand upon your neighborhood. It's God's desire to place his hand upon our city. It's God's desire to place his hand upon this land. You know, an often quoted scripture and a misunderstood, misunderstood scripture. In fact, we went, we've been unpacking this in our Tuesday morning men's Bible study. Men, I will tell you this. You should be at Calvary this Tuesday morning at 7 a.m where we will continue to look at this scripture. We'll, we'll look at it in great detail. But 2 Chronicles 7 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. When it talks about healing their land, you know what it's talking about? It's not talking about a nation as it is the United States of America. What it's talking about, it's talking about your land. It's talking about that which is around you. That which is around you, that which is within your sphere of influence. See, that scripture, so oftentimes it's applied corporately and we don't embrace it personally. But God wants to heal your land. God wants to heal what's immediately around you. God wants to impact what you put your hand to and the relationships that you're connected with. Well, how do we do that? We do that by living a life in such a way that the hand of the Lord is upon us. And when that happens, what we'll do is we'll see the favor of the Lord. We'll also see wisdom. We know this. As you read through Ezra's writings, we see this over and over. God gave Ezra the wisdom that he needed at the particular moment to solve whatever pressing issue was in front of him. It's the reason why we, we should embrace principles like Proverbs 2.2, which says this, that we're, to, that we're to tune our ears to wisdom, knowing, as it says a few verses later in Proverbs 2.6, that God is a grantor of wisdom. James bears this out as well, right? James writes, if we lack wisdom, we can ask and God will give it to us and God will give wisdom in abundance. We don't have to walk in ignorance Right? We don't have to walk in lack of understanding or misunderstanding because the wisdom of the Lord is available to us. And the wisdom of the Lord is a direct result of the hand of God being upon us. Friend, it's, it's God's desire that you walk with the hand of God upon you. And, and, and that doesn't just affect favor with people or an understanding of situations. It also will affect and it will enhance relationships. Here's what we find. We find in the life of Ezra that the right people that Ezra needed to live his life 
fulfilled, to live his life of purpose, to live his life where he's having kingdom impact, that what God did is God brought the right people into Ezra's life in the right moment. God brought the right people into Ezra's life in the right moment. Look at this. It says in Ezra 7, verse 7, it says, And some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes. They, they went with Ezra. Ezra 8, 1 says this. Now these are the heads of the father's households and the genealogical enrollment of those who went up with Ezra, or Ezra says, went up with me from Babylon in the reign of the king Artaxerxes. And, and, and who did God send? Here's what we find in Ezra chapter 8. It says this. When I observed the people and the priests, I did not find any Levites there. I sent for Eleazar. And he lists uh, this group of people. Leading men, and he, and he sent for two others, which are teachers. Verse 17. And I sent them to, to Edo, the leading, uh, the, the leading man in, 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 at the place uh, Caspia. And I told them what to say to Edo and his brothers, the temple servants at the place of Caspia. That is to bring ministers to us for the house of our God. And according to the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of insight. So here's what we see. We see that, that Ezra has this mission. And the mission is to return to Jerusalem and bring a godly order to Jerusalem, to bring an understanding of God's principles back to Jerusalem, and to begin the work of having the temple be restored, right? So if we're going to have church, what do we need to have church? Here's what we need. We need people to lead worship, right? And so what we do is we see this, is that God brought onto Ezra's team worship leaders, we need people who can teach. And we see that God brought people onto Ezra's team that could teach. You need ministers. God brought people who have the ability to minister, the people who have the opportunity to step into situations. We need people that can, that can provide wisdom as we move forward. And we see this, that God brought wise people. It says, according to the good hand of our God, brought us men of insight. And so everything that Ezra needed, to accomplish what God put in his heart to do, what was Ezra's destiny to do. Everything that he needed, God gave him, right? God gave him favor. God gave him wisdom. God gave him relationship. God gave him protection. It's a five-month journey from where Ezra is in captivity to Jerusalem. He does not travel with military. He does not travel with armed procession. And here's, here's what God's word tells us. It tells us this. In, in Ezra chapter 8, it says this. Ezra writes, Then I proclaimed a fast at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way, because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger against all those who forsake him. And so we fasted and sought our God concerning this manner, and he listened to our entreaty. Isn't that powerful? Ezra knows that he's going to walk through a difficult situation. He knows that he's going to walk through a difficult circumstance. He knows that he's going to be in a place of danger. And in the natural, it would make sense to say, you know what? The king is inclined to give me what I want. Really, it would be wise, if, I'm, if we're going to make this five-month journey, it would be wise to have an armed escort. 
I mean, that, that, would, just, that would just be wisdom, right? In that time period, in that situation, the, the, the danger that was there, you know, the risk of being attacked, the, 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 the risk of being robbed, the, the, just the risk of all the different issues that could have come before them. But, but here's what Ezra thought. You know, we've made such bold claims about God. It might, it might not sit well with the king. So you know what, God, you've, you've, you've offered these promises. We're going to stand on these promises. Here's what we're going to do. And I want you to notice that Ezra doesn't just pray some simple prayer. Here's what he does. He says this, I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for us. And so he's passionately connected to God. And that issue of being passionately connected to God, it it puts him in a place where he can know the hand of the Lord, where he can know the favor of God. Friends, that's what God wants you to know. He wants you to know the, the favor of God. And, and it's, it's not that just that God, gives, that God gives that protection, right? But here's what we find. We find this, uh, that God answers prayer, right? They fasted, they prayed. And it tells us, and the hand of our God was over us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from the ambushes along the way. So there, there were people that were looking to bring uh, difficulty and woe to Ezra. And yet God thwarted the enemy at every turn. Why? Why did God thwart the enemy at every turn? Why did that happen? It happened, friends. Notice this, that the hand of the Lord was upon Ezra. The hand of the Lord was upon Ezra in favor with those in leadership. The hand of the Lord was upon Ezra and giving him wisdom for what he needed in the moment. The hand of the Lord was upon Ezra that he brought the relationships into Ezra's life that would enrich him, would embolden him, and would assist him. The hand of the Lord was upon Ezra's life that he had confidence in prayer. The hand of the Lord was upon Ezra's life that he saw the protection of God in the midst of a very difficult situation. Now, I can't speak to where you're at today. I can't speak to your life situation. Let me, let me, let me talk to you about my scenario. Here's what I know. I know this. I know to accomplish the tasks in front of me, I have to have the hand of the Lord. I, I can't imagine living in this world without the hand of the Lord. I, I can't imagine facing the challenges that I face without the hand of the Lord. And, and here's what I'm pretty confident in. I'm pretty confident that the same thing would be true about you. You're, you're here today uh, and, and you have the opportunity to come and worship. Tomorrow, you go into a hostile work environment. And, and for you to be successful, it's going to require the hand of the Lord to be upon you. Right? Some of you, you, when you leave here today, you will, go, you will walk into a, into a situation where your home life is unbearable were it not for the hand of the Lord upon you. Some of you, just the, the life challenges that you're facing right now, it seems like a tremendous uphill climb. 
But that uphill climb is not just possible. That uphill climb is a victory that's in front of you with the hand of the Lord upon you. God wants you to live this life not simply enduring it. God wants you to live this life embracing it. He wants you to live this life enjoying it. And what is the key? The key is what we see in Ezra 7, 6. And the hand of the Lord is upon him. Well, how do we do that? Men, how do, how do we do that? How do we live as spiritual champions in front of our wife? How do we live as spiritual champions in front of our children? How do we live as spiritual champions in front of our grandchildren? How do we live a life with the hand of the Lord upon us? You know, it, it's, it's laid out for us here in, 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 in the story of Ezra, in the life of Ezra. In fact, I, I want to show you, show you four things real quickly that, that all come out of one scripture verse. And, and I want you to see Ezra 7.10. Okay? And here's what Ezra 7.10 says. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. And, and it's, it's, it's in this verse that, that I, a friend, God gives us four powerful principles. He gives us a, a great biblical diagram to live as a champion, to, to live a life where the hand of the Lord upon us is evidenced. And that's God's desire for you. It's not just God's desire for you. Here's what I love. It's God's intention for you. It's God's plan for you. That you would live a life being able to embrace, being able to have confidence every day of Emmanuel, God with us. And, and, and here's, here's how that happens. It happens because Ezra committed himself to knowing the way. A champion knows the way. Right? And here's what we see. In Ezra 7.10, it says this, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. And I love the way that that is laid out. Ezra set in his heart to study the Lord. Now, when we think about that, when you think about study, study really is an issue of the mind, isn't it? But discipline, friend, does not come from the mind. Discipline flows from the heart. Let me say this again. Discipline does not flow from the mind. Discipline flows from the heart. That should come as no surprise to us, right? Because the issue of discipline or self-control, we find that listed among the fruits of the Spirit, right? That uh, a product, a result, a benefit, a blessing of walking in union with God, of living life in the Spirit, is that we have this disciplined disposition. So it's God who places within us this heart or this desire for discipline. And so it would make sense that it would say, for Ezra had set his heart. So here's a big question today. Is your heart right? Let me ask you that question again. Is your heart right? It's, it's astonishing to me the number of individuals that we have in our city that are de-churched. How does that happen? 
It happens one of two ways. Either we don't truly know God or our heart's never been impacted by God. Because if you truly know God, if you know him for who he really is, okay, not, not this big ogre that if, that if you make a mistake, he's going to just smite you. Also, not the believe it, receive it God. Right? So many people became disenchanted with God because they were told that if they simply did this, then God contractually has to do that. And they were, they were convinced of these promises that really weren't promises of God. And so convinced that they were sowing into God's kingdom, they invested all kinds of time, all kinds of resource, and the promises that they were told of what God would provide didn't show up. And they said, yet yeah, I'm out. But when... When we go beyond human principles and human ideals and we, on a personal level, we determine in our heart that we want this relationship with God and we set in our heart to know the Lord, it makes all the difference in the world. So the question that I have for you today is this. Not do you know God. Not do you know about God. Not are you, are you faithful to church attendance? I, I, th- those aren't the questions that I'm asking you. Not, not can, can, you, can you espouse the four spiritual laws? Do you know the cardinal doctrines? The question is this. Where is your heart with God? Where's your heart with God? Well, pastor, I will tell you this. I love God. I appreciate that. Here's... Here's the telling question. Is God your first love? Is God your first love? Well, sure he is. Okay. Actions speak a lot louder than words. So if we take a look at your time, your talent, and your treasury, what's your first love? What's your first love? And see, here's where Ezra is at. Ezra set in his heart. His heart was set on the things of God. So the Apostle Paul tells us, right? In Colossians, he says this, that we are supposed to set our heart on the things above. We're to set our heart on the things above. What's your heart set at? The... The person who lives as a spiritual champion, they, they know the way, and they know the way because they've set their heart towards it. And when we set our heart towards it, what happens is this, is it becomes a focal point for us. I've I've, in, 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 in my ministry journey, I've, I've challenged people to, 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 to study Scripture, to, to know Scripture, to memorize Scripture, right? David said, your word have I, have I set in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
And I'm always fascinated by the individual who will go, yeah, you know what, pastor, I don't have the memory you have. I can't memorize scripture, right? And then we can talk about music from the 60s and they can sing every song. Really? Or, or men. So we can start talking about cars, right? From the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Right? You, you can tell me what, what particular engines came in what particular model. Or the one that always amazes me is the guy that, the guy that can espouse these sports facts, right? That know the batting average from their favorite team from 1973. Really? Yeah, but Pastor, I'm not good at, about remembering things, I'm, I'm not good at, at memorizing things. All right, let me tell you something. Where your great knowledge base is, that's where your passion is, right? Those things that you can recall, that's where your passion is. And what happens is this, Ezra sets in his heart to know the Lord. So let me ask you the question again, where's your heart? Is your heart set on the things above? Is your heart set on heavenly things? Is your heart right with God? Because to know the way of the word, to know the way of the Lord is not simply to have a, some, some, some basic knowledge of the Bible and biblical principles. You will, you will not retain biblical knowledge if your heart is not set to know the Lord. Let me say that again. You will not retain biblical principles if your heart is not right with the Lord, if it's not set to know the Lord. Here's what will happen. The Bible says this. It says knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And where there's knowledge of the principles of God, where there's knowledge of the word of God without a heart for God, what it does is it creates religious arrogance. And if we're not careful, a manipulation of the things of God as a means to our own end. So let me ask you the question again. And this is true for everyone, but today I want to focus on the men in the room. Where's your heart? Where your treasures are. That's where your heart is. And, and Ezra, he knew the way of the word. He knew the way of the word because he set in his heart to study the law of the Lord. It's about, it's about our disposition. And, and it's not just knowing the way of the word. It's determining to go the way of the word. It tells us this in Ezra, Ezra 7.10. It says that he set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it. Ezra didn't just want to know it. He wanted to do it. It's that issue of character. And it's, it's, it's not always easy. And it certainly wasn't easy in Ezra's day. In Ezra's day, the people had violated what God had said. The people, they were intermarrying with pagans and even including the, the leadership, right? Where did, where did Ezra land on this? Look at this from Ezra chapter 9. 
So Ezra chapter 9, Ezra has gotten back to Jerusalem now, and now he's working with the people there, right? The, 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 the remnant that were there and, and, and those, those pilgrims that had returned. And it says this. It says when, when Ezra saw that the people were violating the principles of God's kingdom, it says this in Ezra 9, starting in verse 3. It says, And when I heard about this manner, I tore my garment and my robe. I pulled some of the hair from my head and from my beard, and I sat down appalled. Ezra doesn't just know the way of God. It is his passion to live it. And, and, and here's, here's what I think is important. And for some of you might think, man, Pastor, you talk about this a lot. You're like a broken record. It, 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 I, I say this because it's so very important that we grasp this. We are to live the word, not the doctrine of a particular church. And, and you cannot live the word if you do not know the word. At the beginning of this year, we gave out a little over 900 Bibles, 900 chronological Bibles. And, and man, I'm excited to hear testimony after testimony of folks that are reading uh, through. Listen, if, if you got that Bible and it's sitting on a shelf somewhere, you know what? This is a great day to pick it up and to start again. And, and if you start today, Here's what I want to tell you. If you, start, if you start today, next Father's Day, you will have read through the Bible in a year. Dads, what a, what a great journey to go on, to read through the entire Bible from Father's Day to Father's Day. Won't you join us in that journey? And let me say this. If you're here, you can pick up a chronological Bible for about seven bucks Okay, if you do the electronic version, it's like $7 on Amazon. Uh, a paperback version is 12 bucks. It, listen, if that's in any way a financial difficulty for you, please let me know. I would love, love, love to place a Bible in your hand, a one-year Bible in your hand, to where you can read through the Bible in, in a year. Because here's what happens, okay? When you, when you know the way of the Word, it will impact your life. But it's not enough simply to know it. I'm convinced of this, though, that if you set in your heart to know the Word, the natural response to that is going to be a desire to live it. And, and, and that's, that's what we see. We see this, right? Ezra says this, he says, But at the evening offering I rose from my humiliation, even with my garment and my robe torn, and I fell on my knees and stretched out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, O oh my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to you, my God, for our, for our iniquities have risen above our heads, and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. Nehemiah saw the condition of his people, he saw the condition of the environment around him. You know what I appreciate? I appreciate this. Nehemiah did not stand in judgment over Jerusalem. Nehemiah didn't look at people who were intermarrying, people who were embracing pagan practices and go, God, look at those people. Nehemiah didn't stand in righteous indignation. Listen again to his prayer. 
And I said, oh God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen above our heads and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. Because here's what, here's what Ezra knew. To live as a champion, it's not just about knowing the way. And it's also not just about going the way. A champion is also going to show the way. And Ezra felt responsibility for where his people were, for where that generation was. There's a lot I appreciate about our culture, about American culture. And, I, and I, I love, I'm proud to be an American. I believe that we live in the greatest country on the planet. It's not without its drawbacks. And one of the drawbacks is this, is that the, the rugged individualism that really helped to build America has proven to be a, I believe, a significant detriment. And now we find ourselves, 2017, living in an environment, living in a culture that is increasingly more isolated. Let me give you an example. When I, when I grew up as a kid, I'm starting to feel old, by the way. Right? I remember when I was the youngest guy. You know, people always refer to me as, hey, you young whippersnapper. I don't hear that so much anymore. Um, and some of you are gracious enough and you still refer to me as young man. But can I tell you something? Those of you that refer to me as young man, y'all are old. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I honestly acknowledge I'm, I'm 51 years of age. And, um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I remember vividly when that AARP envelope appeared in the mailbox. And I was, I was Bitter. Bitter. But, but our world is changing, and it does continue to change. When, when, I was a, when I was a child, we lived in homes where on just about every home, there was a front porch, right? In fact, in Orlando, you, you, can, you can drive, and, and you can see homes that were built, right? The 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Those of you that live in homes that were built during that time period, what's one of the common things that you have? You have a front porch. And here's what happens is neighbors knew neighbors. Right? If you were in the middle of cooking something and, and you needed some flour or you needed some, some sugar, what could you do? You could go yourself, you send one of the kids over next door and knock on the door. I don't need a show, a show of hands this morning, but I want to ask you the question. When was the last time a neighbor asked you to borrow some sugar? In fact, if your neighborhood's like my neighborhood, 
There's not a single front porch in my neighborhood. And the back porches, they're hidden. Right? We've got these privacy fences. And and we live this we live this isolated, disconnected environment. Friends, that was never God's plan. I also want to tell you this. When you read Scripture, understand this, that, that Scripture was written in a cultural environment where they were very connected with one another. And so when you had a burden, I had a burden. When you faced a problem, I faced a problem. And it wasn't selfish, me, 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 me. It was us, 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 us. And Ezra gets that. And so when he sees the disconnect of his people from the way of the Lord, he doesn't go look at those people. Sinners. They're all going to hell. I feel sorry for them. Right? No, he doesn't. When he, when he sees that, what does he do? He breaks his heart so much so that he pulls out his hair and he pulls out part of his beard and tears his clothes. And then he cries out to God and he goes, God, I, I understand we're a mess. And what does Nehemiah begin to do? He begins to teach the principles of the kingdom. See, he doesn't just know the way. He goes the way. And he doesn't just go the way, he shows the way. And he begins sowing the word into that into that people. He begins sowing the word into his brothers and sisters. He begins sowing the word into his relatives. He begins sowing the word into his people. And this is a direct result, friend, of the hand of the Lord being upon him. Sir, God wants you to live a life that is fulfilled. He wants your family to walk in God's favor. He wants your workplace to experience revival. He wants your city to be shaken. He wants your nation to be renewed. And here's where it starts. It starts with the hand of of the Lord being upon you. That we set our heart to know the Lord. That out of our heart, we walk in obedience with the Word. And that with that disposition that connects with God, we determine that it can't just be about us. That we have to take as many on the journey with us as we can. Men, God's calling you to live as a spiritual champion. He's calling us to follow the example of Ezra who said in his heart to know the law of the Lord and to teach those principles and those ordinances to everyone around us. Won't you respond? Won't you embrace this destiny that God has for you?
this plan that he's laid out for you, the purpose for which he's created you. One of the things that that we really want to do, my, my, myself, the pastoral team, the leadership at Calvary, we want to position you and equip you the best that we possibly can. That's the reason why I, I will tell you that I'd love to see you Tuesday mornings at 7 a.m. Make it work. Make it work in your schedule. It's a powerful time for us to come together as men to pray for one another and, and, and to talk about God's principles and precepts. When you, when you leave here today, the gift that we're going to give you, we're going to give you a, 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 a book, right? So we don't give you a book every year. Last year we gave you a really cool flashlight that turned into a screwdriver that turned into a, an, an RV and and um, so, you didn't know it turned into an RV? Go home and look at it again. You'll be shocked at all that it does. But it's about, it's about investing in your life. In fact, I ask Neil Grobner, who does a great job of, of coordinating our, our, the, the ministry to men here at Calvary. I, I asked him uh, if he would just put together a, a quick uh, video about the, the gift that we're going to give you today. And so I'd like for our tech team to go ahead and run that video, if they would, please. When I was home, I wasn't really there. I was, uh, you know, really distracted with, with business. My career was the Lord of my life. Every, everything was secondary to that. The whole time... There's a tape running in the back of my head that says I'm doing this for my family. You know, I'm going to give my wife a nice house. I'm going to give my kids a good education. So I need to do this. This is what a man does. And he called me one day and said, uh, I- I'm sorry, I-, I need to go out of town again this week. And it's going to be for a couple of days. And she said a, sort of a sentence to me that really changed everything. She said, that's okay. It's easier when you're not here. That moment was, that day was when God started working on my heart saying, you know, it's, it's not fine. It's not, that's not good. And, um, you know, providentially about that time, I got involved with these, with small group of guys at church. We started reading Man in the Mirror and that got us into scripture and the stock market tanked. And um, all of our investors disappeared. All that money that was promised to us disappeared. But I had this band of brothers, this group of guys, and we sort of locked arms. We all had issues going on in marriages or, or sexual temptation or, you know, all, all kinds of different stuff. As the company spiraled down and down, it got harder and harder. I remember one Tuesday night, I called my wife at the end of the day and I said, I'm, honey, I'm just going to come home. I'm not going to go to men's group tonight. I'm just so weary. I'm just so tired. And she said, uh, don't come home. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, you need to go to that group. You have no idea how much of a better husband you've been since you've been going to that group. And uh, by the end of November, God had put me into a new place, a new, uh, much better season of life. You know, it, it, um, it could have been tragic. But, um, but, you know, God intervened. Hello, men. On this Father's Day, we want to invest in you with this resource. But Man in the Mirror isn't just a book to us. It's a way to grow and support one another as a community. For the next four Saturdays, starting June 24th, we will meet in the Connections Lounge from 8 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. to talk about what we are learning, how we can help one another, and create success stories like the one we just heard. And of course, we will eat some breakfast too. You can find more details about these gatherings on the card in the front of the book you will be handed as you leave today. 
I encourage you to join us and wish you a happy and blessed Father's Day. You know, I, I find this, I find that men get beat up a lot, um, especially in the church world. And we, uh, we have all these pressures, right? And all these ideals. And the enemy convinces us that we can't, we can't do this, we can't measure up, we can't, can't survive on this performance treadmill. Sometimes we'll come to services like this and we'll hear about a man like Ezra and we'll go, I want to be like that, but man, I've tried so many times and I've, I've failed so many times and I, I, don't, I don't know if I even have the energy to try again. What I love about the story of Ezra Is Ezra, it's, it's not about a guy that does these extraordinary things, right? A few weeks ago, we talked about Shamgar who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Now, that's, that's pretty extraordinary. You know, Ezra, Ezra doesn't defeat the Philistines with 300 men with just pitchers and lamps. Ezra is a, he's an ordinary man facing the same types of challenges, temptations, frustrations, and fears that each one of us face. But Ezra lives his life as an overcomer. Ezra lives his life as a spiritual champion. And here's the reason why. Because he set in his heart to know the Lord. And the hand of the Lord was upon him. And men... That's what God wants for you. As your, as your pastor and your friend, that's what I want for you. And it's a journey. And we want to help you with that journey. Not only do we want to help you with that journey, but we believe this. We believe that God has positioned you to help the man that's sitting in the same aisle with you on the journey. I believe this. I believe that God has positioned you to help me on my journey as a man. Because as, as iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. And you know what your family needs? It needs a spiritual champion. You know what your neighborhood needs? It needs a spiritual champion. You know what your, what your workplace needs? It needs a spiritual champion. I, I, can't, I can't live my life as a Christian in, in my workplace. I flat out guarantee you that either you can or you're in the wrong place. Because it's God's desire for you to be able to live the man that he's called you to be everywhere that you are. And you can trust that God will take care of your every need. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. 
Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.